Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Pro Football Network Betting Podcast. I'm your co-host and Chief Content Officer, David Behrman, alongside my partner in crime, Director of Betting, Brian Blewitz, and a special guest today joining us to pick through all of Sunday's action is Doug Kazarian, the host and wagering expert of Only Players. You can find him at onlyplayers.com. Doug, a longtime friend of mine, host of Daily Wager for many years. Doug and I helped launch that show back in 2019. Doug, welcome to the program. Oh, good to be with you. Feels like old times, right? Yeah, feels like old times, bringing the band back together uh, little by little. Brian, you've worked with, with, Brian was with Caesars, and a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff with Daily Wager, Doug hosting, uh, me helping out on the content end, and Brian helping out from the Caesars end. So with that, we're going to get right to it. Our first game features the LA Chargers visiting Foxborough and the New England Patriots. The line is sitting at currently Chargers minus five and a half. Total 40 and a half, which is a tick up from the opening line of 39 and a half. Doug, we'll start with you. Any feel on Chargers Patriots? Well, the feel is that it's going to be a zappy hour, right? Bailey Zappy's going to get the call. If he doesn't, it's just the most bizarre situation we've ever seen. It's trending in that direction, even though Belichick mumbles it every time he's asked about it. I, I'm not going to bet on this game. Um, you know, in pick'em leagues, it's a very different thing. I'm forced to, like, under my head. I would lean to taking the points. I think the Chargers are a mess. I'm surprised Staley is still the coach, not just from this past Sunday night. But, you know, there's been a few instances where I thought he'd be done, but the ownership is so messed up there. So you never really know what to expect with the Chargers. I mean, they'll probably play like their best game, right? You know, just when you think it was the sort of they threw the kitchen sink because they needed that win on Sunday night. It, it kind of reminds me of the Broncos. Like, everything went wrong a couple Sunday nights ago. They they win but don't cover against the Vikings, against that trash situation on offense where Dobbs just mediocre at best, all that. And then the following week, the Broncos look smooth on offense, take care of business, and – the Vikings, we see the real version of the Vikings against the Bears. But aside from, uh, you know, Murphy's Law there, if you're if you're a backer on the dog here, I think the right thing to do is take the points because I think the offense for New England will look better. And I just – I think the Chargers have to be – just have to be sort of crushed after Sunday night. Brian, what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I'm with Doug and the fact that there's no way I'm touching a side in this one, like – you can't even trust the Patriots, no matter how many points they get anymore. And you can never trust the Chargers laying any amount of points on the road. But this feels like an easy under for me just because of how bad the Patriots' offense has been. They've scored 13 points over their last two games. And no matter who it is, a quarterback, Bailey Zappi or Mac Jones, neither of them instills any more confidence in the offense. And honestly, the Patriots could be tanking at this point, too, or doing their best attempt at tanking. And the only games this, this Patriots season that have gone over 40 points were weeks one and two against Eagles and Dolphins, two of the best offense in the NFL. Week four against the Cowboys. Cowboys run the score against every bad team. And the Bills in week seven, the Dolphins in week eight. I don't think the Chargers the same firepower on offense. A lot of those teams and the Patriots offense has gotten worse this season calls, has gone on. So I'll take the under 40 and a half. Kind of wish I got a key number if it's ever 41 and a half, but I still like the play here. Picking up on a lot of the things you guys both said about the Patriots offense being bad and Doug, I was going to wait a while to use borrow a line that I know you're going to use at some point in this show. Cause you've used it before. I'm going to isolate just how bad the Patriots offense is. And I, I bet it last week and I'll bet it again. Uh, I found a 17 and a half at DraftKings with a little bit of a juice minus 125, 17 and a half going the under since it's on the other side of 17. The Patriots haven't scored over 17 points in nine of their 11 games this season. Nine of their 11 games, they've gone 17 or worse. Uh, they scored 13 total points in the last two games. And even though I do agree with you, Brian, that the under uh, the game might be the way to go, the Chargers, as Doug had mentioned, have the capabilities of lighting up whenever they kind of can do it. Uh, but I'm not going to bet against that. So I'm going to take the, the Patriots team total under 17 and a half there. Move into a different game, the Arizona Cardinals and Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers getting laying five and a half against the two-win Cardinals. 40 and a half is the total right now. Doug, anything stick out on this game for you? I lean to the Steelers here. I think something may have been unlocked on offense when you fire a coordinator. And the number one thing is that the offense isn't throwing downfield. That you have to believe Tomlin, who said, I made the the coaching change, all me. 
that that's like a priority for the change, right? So if the Steelers offense opened up a little bit, that's really all that was needed in this matchup. And, and you know, are they going to like cover with ease? No, it's going to be a sweat because it's a Steelers game. But I do feel a little comfortable, a little, not a lot, laying these points with the Pittsburgh offense. Brian, I know last week you had predicted that the Pittsburgh offense was going to be different after changing offensive coordinators. It didn't show on the scoreboard, but it showed in the in the box score with 400 yards. Are you believing in the change, or are you going a different direction here? I do believe in the change, at least for another week, because of the matchup. I mean, the Steelers have a pretty good rushing offense. It's one of the better one-two combinations in the NFL at Najee Harris and uh, Jalen Warren, and they're going against a Cardinals defense that allowed 143 yards on 16 carries to Kyron Williams last week. So I think they continue to lead on that ground game and really exploit the Cardinals defense that way and don't have to overly trust Kenny Pickett too much, even though that's also a bad passing defense. That I like them put up enough points here, and I think that maybe Kyler is starting to get, shake off the rust a little bit, get healthier against a Pittsburgh defense that's good but not great. I think he could be able to put some points too here. I was going to lean with the over on this one, actually, which is kind of surprising given how we've been cashing a lot on Steelers unders all season long. But there's juice on the under right now, 41 and a half. So I'm going to wait a little bit to see if it drops because we all know the three of us in this call are just much more advantageous taking over 40 and a half versus a 41 and a half. Yeah, and I, I'm always on the Pittsburgh unders, and I can't consciously do it with a new coordinator. I passed last week. I'm going to pass again this week, although last week I had the under in the game, so that hit. Uh, but I will pass on on this week's game. No real feel there. They, you know, the firing of the coordinator kind of ruined my Pittsburgh Steelers team total that I was taking yeah. every single week. Uh, two teams that we never thought would be in this situation at this point in the year, the Denver Broncos on a five-game winning streak after a horrible one-in-five start on the road at the – Houston Texans, who are also fighting for a playoff spot. Both teams are six and five. Uh, right now, it's the Texans laying three and a half at home, 47 and a half. Brian, we'll start with you. Houston, a disappointing loss last week versus Jacksonville, where they could have taken the lead in the division. Denver Broncos, are you believing in them? Where are you headed in this one? Yeah, I don't really believe in uh, the Denver Broncos. I just believe in the Texans a whole lot more. I was on the wrong side of that game last week. Texans got screwed by a lot of uh, defensive pass interference calls. It's just the nature of their defense. They play very aggressive. But this Broncos team, they're on a five-game winning streak, but they've had a lot of luck their way. They have a plus-14 turnover differential in those five games, which is pretty crazy. And the way the Texans got killed last week was Trevor Lawrence and their passing offense just destroyed them through the air. As Even though Russell Wilson looked a lot more competent and a lot better than he was last year, he's still not the type of quarterback that's going to throw for 300-plus yards and pick apart a secondary on a high volume passing day. So I like the Texans here. It's a little telling that it stayed at three and a half. You would think there'll be a lot of action on the Denver plus three and a half, given the hook and their five game winning streak. But even though there's juice on that right now, I might wait for the drop before taking the Texans, but I really like them in a bounce back spot here and Stroud much better at home than on the road. 109.4 QB rating at home, 89.9 on the road. Doug, you a believer in either one of these teams. Well, I guess to what extent, right? I mean, I think they are who they are, right? Like, I think they're both sort of representative of what their record indicates, right? I mean, are they like contenders? No. But I wouldn't be surprised if they made the playoffs. I, I think Stroud's been, you know, shades of Deshaun Watson, right? He, he looks the part, and he's been great. Um, and, and I think Denver's finally, you know, delivering and – I was talking to a buddy who's a pro better, and he said at the beginning of the season, he's like, you know, we were talking about survivor pools, things like that. He's like, I'm definitely going to be looking to play Denver in some unusual spots later in the season. I think he goes, it's going to take some time for Sean Payton, blah, blah, blah. And it's been really, like, striking, right? It wasn't like he was expecting one in six, then five straight win kind of thing, right? It was, it was supposed to be, you know, supposed to be like them finally finding their groove, back half of the season and I think it makes sense I mean we expect things to happen so much um, because of a coach shows up but you know part of the reason in my opinion that the offense has been so bad across the league is just limited practice time you know the, they, they don't hit and, and I think defense is just easier um, when you have that such scarcity of play, of opportunity on the field in practice so they almost use the regular season to kind of get things in order 
and they play the marathon because of, especially because of the just one buy in each conference. So I, I think they both are kind of reflective right now of who I think they are. I don't think they've been like playing out of their minds, kind of like the Vikings I was talking about earlier previously, like those Vikings performances with Dobbs and everything. I mean, that that's nonsense. So I think like the Vikings are somewhere between what they were like the first couple of weeks with Dobbs. And then last week they weren't as bad as they were on Monday night. So I think with, in this matchup, it's hard, you know, as we all know, like you have to really sort of block out what you last saw with these teams uh, across the league. Anytime you're handicapping a game, it's like, I think there's going to be regression to the mean. And the question is, like which way are they headed sort of towards normalcy? But I think these two teams are actually where what we've been seeing the last couple of weeks. It's going to come down to a few plays. I would lean to taking the points just because you have the three and a half and not three. But I wouldn't be surprised if Houston finally gets right. I think Denver's been feasting on some bad offenses lately. I don't think they've played any explosive offenses and shut them down. I think it's been, you know, some of these teams that really like lack a quarterback, things like that. So, like I said, I'm leaning to the Broncos, but I, the extra hook tells me that the Texans probably cover. I'm going to put you on the spot here with a topic that has gotten some steam on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. I made a comment the other day after seeing somebody on Twitter and X put up a Sean Payton for Coach of the Year uh, post. And I, my response, which I'll tell you the reaction in a second, was, if you're the coach of a team that allows 70 points in a game and uh, lost by 50 and got off to a one in five start, you're ineligible for coach of the year. I got hammered, Doug. I got taken to the woodshed, mostly by Bronco fans, absolutely taken to the woodshed. But I still believe that just because you made your own grave and started one in five, losing by 50 points and allowing 70, that you shouldn't get credit for digging out of your own grave. What is your opinion on the, some of the movement for saying, well, look what Sean Payton has done to this team. Should he be coach of the year, et cetera? I think a lot will be determined for that award. I, I, I wouldn't rule it out. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have such a you know firm rule that if you lose by, you know, you hang some team hangs 70 on you. I think there's crazy circumstances for anything. Um, I mean, last year with a few weeks to go, Sirianni was minus 200 to win coach of the year. And then he did not. So it's a, these all these awards markets are fake. They're fake markets. Okay, so I would keep an eye on who they play as the season goes on. Okay. Wild card team coaches do make do win the award. I'm not gonna say it's fifty fifty, but it feels like it's fifty fifty. So it's not like it's just outliers. Like Stefanski won, Dable won last year, um, and just in recent years. So sometimes it's a dominant. Uh, division champ, but I I know what you mean, but I think the key part of if Peyton's campaign, if you want to call it a campaign, was that they were terrible last year too. And I think people are focused on Russell Wilson offensively, sort of being shades of rust quit, you know, in certain games. And I think that's what happened with Denver. Also, David, one thing working against you, this is a media vote. The media loves Sean Payton. He was a colleague, a lot of guys at Fox do they? last year. Do they, though? I, do they? I could be wrong, but I thought they did. Because like I've heard Fox sports people like on podcasts just like, glowing about working with Sean Payton. I don't want to name any names, but that's the one thing here. And like Dan Campbell's the favorite. Don't really know why he's a favorite, but he's another coach that the media loves, too. I yeah, think- so I think people – remember with a lot of this, just to interrupt, like you're never going to hear people say that he- – somebody's an asshole right like yeah. you're gonna hear people say oh it's great working with him but like there are people out there that like definitely think he's like smug and you know a little too like thinks he's a lot smarter than he is one super bowl ring but like was that drew Brees? was that the colts laying an egg the onside kick kick i mean like i i know what you mean um but there's a lot of coaches in the running for this yeah I couldn't have picked a better segue if I tried. I did not do this on purpose, but right now we're going to, who is the coach of the year? Presumptive favorite at uh, Dan Campbell and the Lions facing the Saints. It's an easy transition to that. I did not plan that. Uh, The Saints are getting four and a half at home. The division leading Lions after the debacle on Thanksgiving hit the road. The total sitting at 46 and a half. We'll start with you, Doug. Two teams that did not play very well last week. Lions on national TV getting lit up by Green Bay. 
and the Saints not looking good at all in a major division game versus the Falcons. Anybody you like in this one? Yeah, this is arguably my favorite play of the weekend. I like Detroit. Uh, I think it's a really cheap number. Uh, this New Orleans team's like not good, and everyone's like, oh, on the road, the voodoo dome. Oh, well, the Saints are 0 4 against the spread at home this year. It's just not the same. Carr is extremely weak. Um, you know, I'm, I know that's the, maybe the Raider fan in me talking, but I've never been a fan of him. So, and I think the Lions, I mean, for what it's worth, they've won and covered five straight off a loss dating back to last season. And I think that's just good, good handicapping in the NFL. I was alluding to it earlier in terms of kind of forgetting what you last saw. Uh, in the in the NFL, I, I do believe in good teams off a loss. I, I think you kind of get their attention, especially this late in the season. I, I think they're going to be all business, come in and, and take names. It kind of reminds me of them earlier in the season when they, they were all fat and happy off the opener win, opening win in Kansas City. They, they come home, lose to Seattle in week two. And I just think there's a maturity component that that was like their issue. It's like you got to win and bring it the next week. And Maybe they're not as experienced in that locker room of winning and staying on top, kind of like the Chiefs do every seemingly every week. So, and then the next week they went and took care of business uh, against the Falcons. So I, I kind of see a similar sort of outcome in my eyes. I think they're going to be all business and uh, come in and just be, you know, just be the, the the division champ that we think they are. And maybe they couldn't handle the stage and pressure of Thanksgiving being favored and all that. I don't expect, you know, the Saints to be this like juggernaut. This is a team that's poorly coached, has poor quarterback play, except for maybe in the red, red zone when they go to Taysom Hill. And I, and I think it's kind of a cheap number for Detroit. Brian, I'm actually on the same side as, as Doug on this one. Uh, Saints dealing with a whole bunch of injuries. They're skill position players. Carr's been not anywhere close to what he thought he would be. I have a lot more faith in the Lions figuring this out than the Saints. Uh, I'm with Doug on this one. What do you like? Yeah, I'm with you guys, too. Not strong play. This has moved up a point since um, the lines reopened last Sunday night. But you guys both really hit it on the head. Doug, especially just how bad the Saints team is. And the only teams with less covers this year or worse ATS records are the Patriots and uh, the Panthers. So that like says a lot right there. And the Saints team is a lot more talented than both of those teams. Just really poorly coached. Derek Carr has probably been like, Outside the obvious needs, probably the worst quarterback to watch this year is just check downs, Ava Kamara, or missing receivers on deep shots downfield. But the Saints are just so banged up versus the Lions are coming off a long week, extender rest, final Thanksgiving. As Doug mentioned, sets up as a good um, to get right spot too. And like, oh, it's on the road, but it's indoors. Jared Goss a whole lot better in the dome. This seems like a get right spot for Detroit coming off a bad game and if there's any team I don't want to see in the playoffs in any conference, it's the Saints. So please, Lions, win this game. Uh, there you have it, our first community game. So all three of us are on the Lions. You know what to do. Um, moving to a quietly interesting game, we go from Doug's favorite play to my favorite play. Indianapolis Colts on the road giving a point and a half to the Tennessee Titans, total at 42 and a half. Brian and I talked about this a few weeks ago. I sneakily put money on the Colts Yes to make the playoffs when it was plus money, looking at their schedule. Very easy schedule the rest of the way, quietly on the fringe of the playoffs. They're currently holding the seventh spot in the AFC. Uh, Tennessee's garbage. Uh, I, I just They're not a good team. Uh, I, I think Brable might be on his way out at the end of the season. I know he's done great things with them, but they're just not a good team right now. I know Jonathan Taylor's not going to play, but I still like the Colts to win this one like they won their first matchup by a touchdown. I like them to win this one as well, giving a small price on the road. We'll start with you, Brian. What do you like in this one? Yeah, not a strong play, but we're heads up on this one. I like Tennessee at home. They're 4-0 straight up and ATS at home this season. When you don't count the London game, they're considered the home team. And they covered those games by nearly 11 points per game, which is pretty crazy. And at home this season, they have point differential of also 10 points per game in their favor. So I know some of those games came with Ryan Tannehill before they had Will Levis, but just think this might be a good Mike Vrabel underdog spot at home against a division rival. Colts are definitely much better than expected this year, a 6-5 record in the playoff hunt, but still punching above their weight a little bit. I mean, they're on three-game winning streak, but Panthers, Patriots, Buccaneers, i just not really sold on backing this Colts team on the road, um, giving points. I have no opinion. I mean, these are teams that like, I just don't want to get involved with. I've picked my spots with the Colts at times this year 
And I think there's a lot more, I don't know, polish is the right word, but I kind of know what I'm getting a little bit with them, whereas Titans have a ton of variance, especially with the quarterback change. I just, I, I lean Indy here, but there's real no, uh, I don't know. I, I don't get like too involved when it's like a one and a half point spread to think like, oh, home dog. Like, I don't think like that's sort of the uh, crux of what like the, or the spirit of the kind of, label of a home underdog like i get it you can but if you want to tease them up do something like that fine but in general this is a game where i can't really sort of map out in my head how it might play out um so it's sort of just like a hard pass for me well we have another one with the same exact line atlanta falcons traveling to new jersey to face the jets it opened at three now down to one and a half the jets a small favorite at home total staying at 34 uh, I'll start before kicking it to you, Doug. I, I played it last week against Miami. I'll play it again. New York Jets offense is horrific. I'm going to play another team total under 16 and a half. The Jets have two touchdowns on offense in the last 20 quarters since their bye week. Those two touchdowns were a garbage time touchdown with two minutes to go last week in a blowout and a screen pass to Brees Hall that went for 50 yards. That's the entirety of the Jets offense in the last five weeks. Doesn't matter if it's Zach Wilson or Tim Boyle. They couldn't get the 16 and a half last week when given six free points at the end of the half from Tua. I don't see them getting there this week. No, the Falcons don't have a great defense, but the Jets offense is just a train wreck. So I'm going under 16 and a half team total. Anything in this close game you like, Doug? Wonk, real quick. Are you nervous at all about turnovers? Desmond Ritter leads the NFL in turnover worthy plays on the road against a Jets defense that has been playing as well as they were earlier this season, but they're still capable of creating a lot of takeaways. Tua handed the Jets two interceptions with a minute apart, including six free points, and they still didn't get the 16 and a half, and they were playing their fourth string at the end of the game. Back <laughs> to true. you, Doug. I, I do not believe yeah. in the Jets' offense as well. I Look, what are they, four and seven? I, I think, like, for example, on the Buffalo game, this was a t- defense that was running on empty, right? Big games and back-to-back weeks demoralized. They had nothing left in the tank. So they play the Jets. I think they'll be they'll be ready in terms of fresh, but I just don't like think they care anymore. I think this is a team that's probably checked out, and yeah. not that the Jets are going to open up a can on them, but I think the Jets do take care of business in this spot. I just like you said, it's Ritter on the road. Weather might be chilly. Like I'm, I'm encouraged by Bijan being used more. In the last game, or used at all, I should probably say. But I just think there's better things to do with your money than bet on a 5-6 and six Falcons team on the road laying points. But I don't see Boyle doing anything on offense. But I, I do think there could be some short fields with turnovers. And it's an incredibly low total at 33.5 neighborhood. So while I'm inclined to play under, and I do like playing under in the lowest uh, over under the week because that typically goes goes well. Um, that would be the only way I'd play. But like pick pick them leagues, I, I guess I would take Atlanta, but with zero conviction. It was funny, Doug, bringing my nine and a half year old to the game on Black Friday, and he's been the games before, but he just finished his first tackle football season, which, as you know, is completely different from flag. So he gets the offense and defensive systems now. He's seen at least on the fourth and fifth grade level what teams are supposed to do. And I take him to this game and he sees one offense that's one of the best in the leagues. And then he watched the jets and it's like watching two completely different sports out there with those two teams. He got a kick out of doing that. And of course, then watching hard knocks the next day, uh, Brian, your thoughts on dolphins, uh, your, your thoughts on jets Falcons. Sorry. Yeah, this is one I have no interest by either side. I don't want to put, as Doug said, as much better ways to spend your money. And I think that goes both ways. One, I don't want to spend any money on Tim Boyle. And as Doug mentioned earlier, when you're such a short underdog, as it really counts being an underdog when it's by like one and a half points. And I never want to lay points to Desert Render on the road either. I'm looking at Bijan Robinson here just because the best way to beat this Jets defense is on the ground. They're 18th in rushing yards per attempt allowed for the season. And we saw that like he most last week, for example, break up a long run and the end of that game. But Seems like a cardinal sit in betting or in fantasy to buy high on skill position players and Arthur Smith offense. You just never know with him. 
For all we know this week, Bijan could have five carries just because he wants to troll all of us. But right now, his line's only at 59 and a half. That still seems pretty low if he's going to get close to the amount of opportunities he had uh, last last week. Well, from one bad offense to a good offense, the Miami Dolphins laying nine and a half on the road at the Washington Commanders. Total, the highest of the week is at 49 and a half. Doug, I'll go with you first. Dolphins, Washington, anything you like here? Well, the first thing that jumps out is the high over-under, right? Near 50 points in a season that we've had in terms of low scoring. I would, I actually do lean to the under. Um, I know the commander's defense is pretty bad. I know Sam Holt, Howell makes that plays that, that, you know, that, that help overs, whether it's turnovers or yards down the field. It's just a big number, and it's, it's asking teams to execute in the red zone, which is really bad just a second ago, like, you know, they score a touchdown on Sunday Night Football against the Raiders, and it's called back on the goal line holding. You know, it's just crazy stuff has been happening. I mean, we're going to get some shootouts like Texans have been involved in some, but I would look to the under here. It's too big of a number for me to lay nine and a half, and I'm not opposed to laying lumber when it's a mismatch, but I'm not sure it's a complete mismatch. And, you know, Phillips out for the Dolphins. I I don't think their defense is that special. So I'd be on the commanders and under, if anything. Brian, you agree with Doug here? I agree about the under, I think. I mean, Jalen Phillips is a big loss for your Dolphins, obviously, especially as their defense is really starting to turn a corner. But I don't think he's been that big of a loss in this matchup. I still think, I still think they could get a lot of pressure on Sam Howell without him this matchup. They still got Christian Wilkins. They still got Bradley Chubb. Still got Zach Steeler. Don't know if I pronounced his name right. But point being that Howell's the worst quarterback under pressure in the NFL, and the Dolphins could still get to him without their top pass rusher. And I think and like overall, their defense has been a lot better with Jalen Ramsey. And don't think this is up a game where we'll need to run up the score. I see where Doug's coming from. This might be too many points. I just get burned every time on Sam Howell one way or the other. I mean, I lost the survivor because they had six turnovers against the Giants. So I'm just, this is a pass for me, but I could see why Doug's leaning with his two plays. Only in survivor pools does the uh, Washington-New York Giants game actually matter. For this matchup, for me, I'm going to be playing what I've played all year long. Uh, I have taken wide receiver ones against the Commanders every single week since week three. Did not hit last week because Des Bryant did not have a good game during Thanksgiving, although there were other receivers who did. Uh, The number can't be high enough for Tyreek Hill. Uh, 97.5 is where I found it. Yesterday, I'm going to go over. Could also play Jalen Waddell at 64.5. Wide receivers have feasted on this defense. Uh, at least one receiver has hit their over every single week versus Commanders D. Uh, if you're worried about 97 and a half being high, I took in Tony. I took um, AJ Brown over 93 and a half, and he had 88 at halftime and route to a 130 yard game. Tyree Kills getting 100 every game anyhow, so I think 97 and a half is a good price. I also saw it 104 and a half at a different book, so make sure you shop wisely. Uh, moving on, Carolina Panthers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucks somehow are laying five and a half at home, total 36 and a half. We'll start with you, Brian. Do you have any interest in this game? Yeah, this is going to be extremely gross. And when I looked at the Lions, initially I did the column Sunday night. This is one of those games where I passed on and I had no interest on watching this game. And I think we have enough games in the one o'clock window this week where if I got three TVs, four boxes in the middle, and then two streaming on the other side that I wouldn't have to watch this game. But I like Carolina here. It's really gross, but... Tampa Bay, I think, is a little overrated still by their three and one start to be in the season. They've gone one and six since. And during that time, they had a 29th ring defense by EPA. And Carolina's got to cover eventually. I mean, they're one, eight, and two ATS for the season. Frank Reich's now gone. A lot of the offensive coaches are now gone too. And hopefully, they make a lot of adjustments because of that. I mean, going into last week, I saw a chart that Bryce Young has the most pure dropbacks this season, and the margin isn't even like close. That pure dropbacks means pure pass attempts without not including RPOs, play actions, or screens. So basically, they're making life as difficult for him as possible. And the only quarterbacks that are less efficient on pure dropbacks this year are Aiden O'Connell, Daniel Jones, and uh, Zach Wilson. So hopefully, with those a lot of the offensive staff out the door, they're going to try to make life a little bit easier for Bryce Young. They'll come out motivated. It's five, five and a half points, wherever it is right now, whatever book you're looking at. That seems like way too many for a Tampa Bay team that I just don't think is any good. Doug, you gonna hold your nose and have anything on this game, or is there anything you like? No. Well, it's a big. This is a big game for me and my uh, my my 
social media victory tour that I, I have yet victory lap that I have yet to take. I, I was big on the uh, Panthers under and Cash Panthers, <laughs> Panthers being the worst team in the NFL. And I can't even tell you like Panthers fan base just came after me in the spring uh, saying that, that like, who the hell is this guy? I've never heard of him. How could he say the Panthers are going to be among the worst teams? Yeah. I said it was a downgrade for this coming season going from uh, Mayfield to Bryce Young. And people are like, what What are you talking about? Bryce Young is Doug Flutie 2.0 at his best. I, I, I don't understand. Like, he literally cannot see over the line of scrimmage. Um, and he's frail. And he's under he, – he's 5'10". So, like, all these people who thought he'd be, like, this superstar and draft him number one, I just sat there and said, I don't see it. I hope I'm wrong because he's an all-American guy and all that good stuff, but I just don't think he's an NFL quarterback. And to Brian's point, I felt, I think those are interesting stats. Like I think a smart coach can get him on the move, get him outside the pocket, and eventually that will, you know, defenses will, will adjust and kind of limit him and do what it, whatever they need to do. But I think if he's going to, like, break the trends and have stuff that's not on film, and if, if they actually do that, then I think, they're probably going to be a competent team because I think their defense is, is good enough. I think this has underwritten all over it. Now the bucks do, do throw deep to Evans and do have some big plays and do some games. But other than that, um, I, I think this is an underplay. I, I kind of need the Buccaneers to win this game because my, one of my favorite win totals was bucks over. Um, let's not forget a year ago, they had the highest win total in the NFC. Okay. Like, I, I know Brady was gone, and I think, the court, obviously, quarterback's a big thing. But, like, the roster had talent. So when they started the season with an upset of the Vikings and they were, like, good out of the gates, I'm, I'm feeling myself a little bit. But they haven't had a lot of wins in the last month or so. So I kind of need a win personally. But I do think the under is the right play, um, unless the Panthers all of a sudden sort of unlock Bryce Long, Bryce Young, like you were saying, Brian, I do think this is an under game. I think Panther unders are like the way to go, but maybe you wait on that to see how this new offense looks. We were just talking about the Steelers sort of unlocking their offense. Maybe the Panthers do that here, but, and the Bucks are banged up too. Like, don't forget that the Bucks are really banged up. So I think the only way you can play this game is taking the points because that's kind of a big number for a game with a low scoring, but I think the under is the better play. With um, what remember? I was what I was mentioning with um, change of the offense, I don't think they'll be able to unlock Bryce Young into any to anything like really good by any means. I think they can make him go from terrible to not as bad and just try to make life as easy as possible. Doug, I was with you on that Panthers under though. If you remember how bad that offense looked in the preseason. I remember just watching one of those games just going right to their win total and hammering the under at seven and a half. And it was only a minus 105. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. And we cashed her. I mean, the, the, the announcer, the apologists that have been out there for Bryce Young going through preseason, like he's looked terrible. Yeah. And maybe it was the offense. Maybe it, was, it wasn't just him. But everyone's like, oh, great, great, like managing of third and long. You know, just like all this ridiculous sort of spin zone has just been comical. And then in the last couple of weeks, it's moved from Bryce Young to CJ Stroud. Now, I think Stroud's been great for, you know, by, for rookie standards, and he's going to be, looks like he's going to be a very good NFL player. But just the apologist, like the guy had six turnovers in two weeks, and we're talking MVP after, like he throws two red zone interceptions, and then Tank Dell makes like this ridiculous grab, like falling on his back, touchdown. And they're like, oh, Stroud this, Stroud that. It's like, all right, there's going to be growing pains like for any rookie. It's okay that he turned, turned the ball over six times. Like, we can just call it what it is and be fair. I, I just think it's kind of funny how much, like, all the apologists defending Bryce Young and even Frank Reich, like, the, the team was terrible, terrible offensively. And whether it's Young's fault, whether it's a little mix of everything, like, it's going to take some time for him to figure out the NFL because it takes time for all rookies. And he has sort of shortcomings. Uh, working against him that literally has never been proven right in the NFL. And yes, he's more mobile, but he's not Kyler Murray mobile. Kyler Murray mobility is very different than Bryce Young. Bryce Young's athletic and fast. Kyler Murray's like a video game and he can make something out of nothing. 
I don't think Bryce Young has that like luxury, although he did have a nice scramble last week for a first down that I thought he was dead in the backfield. Your relationship with the Carolina Panthers fans, Doug, very similar to me last year when I pegged the Bears as the worst team in the league with the low with the least amount of wins and I got hit up like a Christmas tree all year long. And especially during the three and one start the bears had. And I said, trust the process, trust the process. And uh, I was able to cash those tickets at the end of the year. And I did my victory tour around social media. Remember uh, the PFN merchandise store is now open and just in time for the holiday season, visit pfnmerch.com for exclusive shirts, sweaters, hats, and more for the football fan in your life act now. And, Take advantage of all our deals and go to pfnmerch.com today. I'm going to send Doug Kazarian one in Vegas. He'll have a nice PFN hat to wear the next time we're on the pod. We're actually going to move to, inarguably, unarguably, whatever the word is, the best game of the week. Niners, Eagles, rematch of the NFC Championship game last year in which the Niners didn't have a quarterback and lost to the Eagles. Once uh, Brock Purdy got hurt, that was a different ball game. I didn't think we really wanted to watch Christian McCaffrey run the uh, the Wildcat the rest of the game. I liked it. You liked it, of course. Uh, we will begin with you as the resident Philadelphia fan. Your Eagles are getting three at home. Total of 46 and a half. Some lines have it at two and a half, three. This line has been in the news all week long. We wrote a column at pfnbetting.com about it. Why the Eagles at 10 and one are only the second team, not counting week 17s, to, uh, to be 10 and one or better and getting a field goal or more at home. Brian. Let's start with your hopefully unbiased opinion on this game. Yeah, I don't really need to get into the specifics about oh, they're uh, under like how are they underdog the ten and one record. I feel like the three of us here and everybody listening will know that Vegas doesn't take records too much into consideration when setting these spreads and these odds and so forth. But I think one storyline here that's really falling under the radar as to like what could be factored into this point spread here is that. The Eagles defense was on the field for 95 plays last week. They had a really long overtime game against the Bills in which the Bills dominated time possession. They're chasing down Josh Allen all game long. Jordan Davis clocked in at nearly 17 miles per hour chasing down Josh Allen. And in that game, Fletcher Cox got hurt. Zach Cunningham got hurt. They're really thin a linebacker now, which is really not, which is terrible against the 49ers of all teams that, this is just a huge rest advantage for the 49ers. I mean, they had 10 days rest, played on Thanksgiving. They, that was pretty much a blowout. While the Eagles are just gassed after playing the Bills on overtime, coming off a short week against the Chiefs on the road. Two emotional wins in a row. They do have – I wouldn't even call – I wouldn't want to call this a look-ahead spot because even though it's a revenge spot for the Niners, the Eagles have a, has some motivation too because the 49ers talked a lot of trash after that game and even Debo Samuel this week on – tripling down his comments as he said but i do with the cowboys on the road next week too and this just feels like i've been telling you david when the 49ers offense is completely healthy they've gone our team total over every single time this feels like another one of those games against an eagles defense that still just living on life support and this one that the 49ers offense really matches up well against and their defense is really gassed i'll even lean for the whole game over too considering Lane Johnson should be back, and Dallas Goddard also should be back too. And this Eagles offense really can't be counted out of games as we've seen the uh, last two weeks in a row. Doug, are you living and dying by the Eagles, or are you taking San Francisco in this one? You know, I actually leaned San Francisco. I bet it at one, one and a half, like early, early, early in the week because I knew the market was moving that way. I And everything Brian said, I agree with, um, you know, I asked an odds maker what this line would be if like both teams were off a of buy and healthy. And he said, pick them. And I think that's fair. I think pick them. There would not be such, such outrage. Oh, you think it's horrible? You think they should be favored? Like, no, I think you're right. I think it should be a pick them if, cause I think the 49ers are the better team. Well, yeah. And I mean, it, it I'll tell you in the first quarter what the, you know, what the game, it's all about the Niners playing downhill. Like if the game goes, I feel like last week was the perfect Brock Purdy game, right? Uh, the team gets up early, short fields, uh, and, he, you know, McCaffrey dink and dunk, touchdown, you know, and then he throws a pick six, and then he makes plays downfield and has a, a rope to Ayuk for the touchdown. And I feel like that's the full, like, Purdy experience, right? Not Played with a lead. Looked the part, was not Jimmy G, was not any of these like other nasty quarterbacks for the Niners, but he's also not Joe Montana. And 
Uh, I think the most fascinating thing to me, and I've been talking about it, I'm going to do another segment on it for tomorrow, is the variance in MVP odds of Brock Purdy. Um, some books actually have like five and a half, six to one. Other books have 14 to one. I've never seen it in all my years. This kind of variance in the futures market of anything, whether it be a team or anything, because, you know, we talked about like the futures or awards market being fake. They are like if 14 or 16 to one was like a super, super square or stale number that'd be gobbled up by now and every, the whole market would be five to one. But no one really knows what to what what Purdy is. And I think we're going to learn a lot from him, him this week. So unless the Niners jump out like 14-3 or something like that and they just play downhill and all that, like dominate like you can some of these inferior opponents, like, like Purdy's going to have to do some things. And he was kind of unable to in some games uh, a lot of the time. And last year he, he, he couldn't, but he's so much better this year. And I'm not saying he's a system quarterback, but I don't think he should be MVP of the league, but he might be because some of the stats of these uh, top quarterbacks in terms of their team's records have not been amazing. Like Jalen Hurts was amazing last week with five touchdowns, but the stats of Mahomes, the stats of some of these guys are just like not off the charts like they usually are. So Purdy has plus 550 odds because if you do the money line parlay of all the Niners games remaining, that's what the money line parlay is. It's a plus five fifty. So if he plays well and they went out, like, and he's advanced metrics are like all he like he's tops the NFL in like power rating or passer rating, completion percent, all this stuff. So he could win MVP. So that's why some books have him at six to one if they went out. And obviously they're three point road favorites here, and one of their t- tougher games left. I just think it's the whole thing is fascinating to me. Just having disparity in the odds, and then. You know, such a such a unique player with Purdy and that having Shanahan and having all those weapons, but he's undoubtedly been really good in key moments, and he's obviously an up giant upgrade to previous quarterbacks. I just think the whole thing is fascinating. On top of the Niners laying the full three in Philly, now in terms of line movement, this number is going to stay at three. It's not going to go to three and a half. As soon as it does, it get gobbled up. But in, I'm not betting this game, but I, I can see the over. Since you mentioned it, Brian, I hadn't really thought about it much, but I can see that a little bit. I just think Shanahan's going to be so excited to, like, diagram plays, and we'll see if the pass rush can get there. If the pass rush can't get there, like, really get there, then I think the Niners are going to have a field day. I will say, I forgot the Zach stat, but I heard it on a on an Eagles podcast, listened to it, or his Twitter. I forgot where I heard it, but... The Eagles like got a lot of pressure on Mahomes and Allen. But they had a hard time taking them down. There are two best quarterbacks at evading sacks in the NFL. Purdy's close to the bottom of that category. So that could be yeah. a big advantage as Eagles defense here. And Doug, you made a great point about that. I think the reason why this line is at where it is because Sharps were hammering this 49ers number. Like as soon as that came out Sunday night at below two, the look ahead line, the Eagles were actually favored by one and a half. So I think the reason why it is where it is now is because if they know they move it to three and a half, that's a great middling opportunity for these sharps. And there's not enough public money on the Eagles who want to move that up because I'm sure there's a divide with the public, I feel like, because I think football fans have gotten smarter to know that the best record doesn't always mean the best team. Well, and to your point of the overtime, so the look ahead line and then seeing how that game played out, right? Yeah. It was like a full overtime thing. And, and, so I'm on some text messages. So a lot of people are betting one and a half, but it didn't stop at two and a half. So I think it's going to stay three the entire way. And, you know, it's not the Sunday night game. I think the Chiefs Packers game will dictate the weekend more for the books. So I think they're just going to keep it at three and it is what it is. And it's going to be just really interesting. I think the pressure stat that you bring up, you like I have a pro better friend who just like thinks the Purdy is absolutely a system quarterback. He laughs at anyone who would remotely put any money on Purdy to win MVP. And he thinks like Purdy is like, he thinks Purdy's like a liability. He thinks it's all Shanahan, all McCaffrey, everything. And I think that's fascinating because other sharp guys I know love Purdy. One, one odds maker told me when Purdy moved up to the third MVP odds, like, I don't know, week five or whatever it was, he texted me, he said he should be the favorite. He's Joe Montana out there. And I was like, whoa. And that's like an odds maker. So it's, it's, it's just I just love seeing such differing differing opinions on a topic 
because usually the market is so tight and it's not been tight with him. And so we still don't know what he's good. He is. Um, I just, I want to see him have to drive the field and not, you know, play. I, I want to be a situation where the Niners are not playing bully ball. I want to see him have to go win games. And that's where I think we're going to win um, a lot. If I had one argument against Purdy in, in agreement with that pro battle you're talking about is that, yeah, Purdy leads and like QBR, EPA and all that. But Jimmy D, Jimmy G did all those years of Shanahan too, so the system has a lot to do with it. Really? I think, yeah, I think he's just. I think he's Jimmy G with more mobility is what it is. Well, and willing to throw deep. Yeah, like he'll exactly. throw Just more, more, creative, more creative version of Jimmy G. We don't just talk sides and totals here on PFN. We give you some award advice, uh, award advice as well in those markets, as Doug mentioned. FanDuel fourteen to one on Jimmy G. 13 to one uh, at DraftKings. So you can still get it at 14 and 13. Two more games to get to as we wrap up. Rams playing three and a half at home versus the Browns. Uh, total sitting at about 39 and a half. I'm on the under in this one. The Browns defense continues to do well. Their offense continues to struggle with bouncing quarterback out of quarterback. The Rams did score a whole bunch of points last week, but of course that was on a poor Cardinals team. So I don't really see a lot of offense in this game. I'm going under 39 and a half, just like Doug. I like taking unders in the thirties because I don't think the numbers are priced low enough. Doug, any feel on this one before we get to the Sunday night football game? Well, yeah, I think the Rams are the side here. I mean, with Kyron Williams is like their guy, right? And fantasy owners were waiting for this guy. And I, I think this opened things up a lot. And this feels like a really cheap number. Are we getting Flacco in this game? We are. Oh, my God. So, that's, like, how is he going to live with, like, Aaron Donald right up the middle? So, I think this is, like, a banger. I mean, the Rams have been really good in these types of situations. It's not just last week um, where they just dominated an inferior opponent. Like, the Rams have been pretty solid. Like, I'm going to throw out the games where Stafford was hurt and didn't play. And like I said, they add Williams in this situation. They've been kind of good against teams that are limited. Like, they've pounded Arizona in both meetings. Um, Like, I think this is a good bet on the Rams. And this will allow me to have a victory lap is one of my favorite preseason plays was Rams over five and a half. They're currently five and six. This would make it the sixth one. Obviously I have six more weeks to, to, to hit that, but I would be happy with the Rams win as well. We're going to go to our last game, Doug, Kansas City chiefs, green Bay Packers. I said it on the pod last week, nothing helps the chiefs offense better than going and playing Vegas as they score 30 or more against Vegas. Every time they play them, they finally woke up late second quarter last week, cracked 30 points. Only for the second time since September, laying six and a half on the road at Lambeau at night, total at 42 and a half. Are you a believer in the Packers after what you saw on Thanksgiving Day? Or do you think the Chiefs are the play here? Well, it's not just Thanksgiving that Jordan Love looked good. Like he's played pretty well over the last yeah. month. And things take time, right? So, um, you know, what we always forget is like teams are allowed to improve. <laughs> right? College, NFL, like you can get better with coaching. You're not stuck in your September sort of way. And look, you know, we talked a little bit about this with the Broncos earlier. And I think the Packers, you know, LaFleur had to kind of figure out what he had with his team and maybe Rogers covered up a lot of mistakes. I think sort of what we've seen that with this team now, they should have lost the chargers, but they moved the ball. Uh, the Steelers game was tight, and then they smacked the Rams, but that Rams team was a shell of themselves, obviously so limited back with a quarterback that they actually went and got Carson Wentz right after that game. I I think the Chiefs are so fascinating. So do you guys know that all their, all their every single second half total uh, for the Chiefs has gone under? Yep. Makes sense. And They went three games so, in a row without scoring. So they're – Right, and they're they're second worst in the NFL in second half scoring. So Arizona's only worse. So the Chiefs this year for the season are averaging 6.4 points in the second half. Now, can we sort of connect dots with that? Does that make sense? And it does because they're among the best in the NFL in first half scoring. 
So we kind of saw this with the Eagles last year because on top of this, their defensive numbers in terms of like, you know, various things is like top five. So here's a team that sort of built the lead. And we saw this with the Eagles last year where you, you kind of have a game script where you build a lead and then your defense protects the lead enough where you're not trying to move the ball. You're kind of like getting four yards on first down, maybe five. It's not like Mahomes is throwing deep or it's not like they're matriculating up the field because they can't throw deeper. I think they're kind of, it's kind of like ball control offense in the second half. So, so the question is, is Green Bay good enough offensively to challenge this? I So I, I think first half overs are like the way to go. Well, Brian, real quick, before I let, before I wrap, you have a quick play on this game? No, nah, I agree with Doug about how much better Jordan Love has looked this season. I mentioned it in our picks column for Thanksgiving game. I was a little, I'm not going to say ahead of the curve because it's not, it's public knowledge, but at the same time, I got a little ahead of it before it became a national story. Since week seven, he's sixth among all quarterbacks in EPA and seventh among in completion percentage above uh, expected. Before that, in the first uh, six weeks, he was 17th in EPA and 32nd in completion above expected. So basically, as Doug mentioned, not only can teams get better over season, but so can young quarterbacks in the first season starting quarterback. That's exactly what we're seeing here. Doug, as I wrap, I'll give you the chance to plug anything. You want to plug your site and what you're doing with them real quick? Yeah, so we have a daily show. Uh, you know, as all the kids are watching on YouTube, we're on YouTube. Uh, the the address is Wager Watch TV. Um, so it's a daily show during the week. And then all the content is clipped off and other stuff that's not on the show, like my betting, you know, my, my, my daily bets, things like that, all on our, our uh, website, onlyplayers.com. There we go. Onlyplayers.com. Doug Kazarian, former host of Daily Wager. Doug and I go way back to the ESPN betting days, starting it up. And, you know, now they've progressed into ESPN bet. Doug and I are no longer there, but we're still involved in the betting space. Make sure to go to pfnbetting.com or follow us on at pfn365. Brian will have tons of content <clears throat> coming out in the next couple of days for week 13. So, Doug, I want to thank you for coming on. It was good catching up with you, Brian, as always. So for Doug and Brian, this is David Behrman. Hopefully you'll have some good betting and come back on Monday for our Monday Night Football podcast. <laughs>